Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Airway First, the podcast from the Children's Airway First Foundation. I'm your host, Rebecca St. James. My guests today are Dr. Joanne Ingleby and Dr. Aoife Stack. Dr. Ingleby started out in children's and community dentistry and then moved on to working in general practice, where she's been for the past 30 years. She has an active interest in the treatment of snoring and sleep apnea and is on the board of British Society of Dental Sleep Medicine, completed the master's class in dental sleep medicine, and is a member of the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine. She teaches dental sleep medicine to other dentists and is trying to increase awareness in the UK of the importance of an unobstructive airway for all ages. You can find out more about Dr. Ingleby at sleepbettermanchester.co.uk or joe at parkfield-dental.co.uk. You can also read her full bio in our show notes. Hailing from County Clare in the west of Ireland, Dr. Stack studied at University College Cork where she won awards for her clinical work and research. Dr. Stack is a general dentist with an interest in how function and structure come together to affect our airways, sleep, breathing, and facial form. She offers myofunctional therapy alongside orthodontic treatments. She has completed a one-year orthodontic certificate in London and has trained with the Breed Institute in Los Angeles for treatment of tongue ties. She's an avid learner and takes courses and attends conferences to keep up to date with current thinking and has a keen interest in research, having most recently been published in the British Dental Journal. She is qualified as a myofunctional therapist and is a board member of the British Society of Dental Sleep Medicine. She is the Breathe Institute Ambassador. You can find out more about Dr. Stack at foreversmile.com.uk and onclinic.co.uk. And now let's jump into my interview with Dr. Joe Ingleby and Dr. Eva Stack. Perfect. Thank you both for joining us on the podcast today. I appreciate it so much. My pleasure. You're welcome. Awesome. Awesome. So let's go ahead and we're just going to jump right in. Um, just for those who really aren't familiar with dental sleep medicine, can we talk a little bit about you know what this is and how this is different from traditional dentistry? Um, dental sleep medicine is a relatively new area of dental practice to us in UK. It's the discipline concerned with the study of oral and maxillofacial causes and consequences of sleep-related problems, which sounds very complicated. But it, it does. <laughs> but it means we're assessing the airway, the space at the back of the mouth for airways, um, and to treat it, if appropriate, with an oral appliance. So if you have an airway with some obstruction, it causes sleep fragmentation. And depending on its severity, it can just be a, um, a simple snore to something more complex of complete obstruction. And the name given to the group of airway dysfunction that we have is sleep disordered breathing. And it's characterized by snoring and an increased 
effort to get breath. So how would a patient end up in your office? Are they referred or do you do traditional dentistry and sleep? How do so they end I, up there? I do both. And now we incorporate um, um, questions in our routine medical history. Do you snore? Does it bother you? Does mm. it bother your partner? And then we are in a perfect place because we see patients with their medical history coming in and their comorbidities to just listen and chat and then assess what's going on in their mouth and airway. Because there's a lot of signs we can see that shows mm. that they may be at increased risk of having this sleep disordered breathing from a young age up to adults. And, and it isn't a static condition. So somebody can start with snoring and it can progress to something further. Right. But snoring has been considered in the past just irritating noise. And now we are much more aware of the importance and significance to health and development. And I, I would add, I know that we used to think it was cute. I did even with my children when they would snore, when they were asleep. Oh, aren't they cute? Listen to the little tiny snore. But it's incredibly detrimental to children as well. It really is. And uh, snoring, as we said, is a sign of restricted oxygen. And not mm. many of us would like to consider our children having restricted oxygen. No. <laughs> um, no. And they behave in a very different way. So for adults, you get a lot of medical issues. Um, and in children, you get a lot of behavioral issues. Mm. So um, I don't know how much your uh, listeners know about the physical effects of sleep apnea in an adult um, and the long-term effects or whether this is just about children and where you would you like us to go? <laughs> well, we focus on children. However, one of the things that I think is an important um, point, concept, to make sure that we hammer home to parents is why it's so critically important to take care of this in children because of the effects that it can have in adults. So I'd love to just kind of veer off into that for a few moments to talk about, you know, how this can manifest and the the health implications that happen in adults. Aoife, should I do this bit and you, you do children? Um, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> okay. Um, it can be as acute as a bad night's sleep, in layman's terms, we all feel worse. We're tired, we're groggy, we're hungry, we're irritable. But actually, the continual lack of oxygen initiates loads of systems to go into high alert and a chain of reactions to many body systems. Um, a, it prevents you from going into a deeper reparative stage of sleep. But physically, the effects of apnea really affect the sympathetic nerve system into this fright or flight, complete stress all through the night and repeatedly. And that can affect every system from hypertension and cardiovascular systems to metabolic and insulin resistance to um, it can affect your immunity. It can affect the rate of cancer of some sorts, Alzheimer's, atherosclerosis. It's huge. You know, the chronic effects are the diabetics. Um, there's there's so many more diabetics who have um, apnea. In fact, most of them, two thirds, I think it is, have uh, some form of apnea. So, oh, wow. 
really it's a huge implication and a lot of days are lost, monetary, work-wise, health-wise. And that's only to the person who's snoring. The person next to them is pretty disturbed a lot of the time and it can right. really it can impact them. Yeah. And it's but two of the things you mentioned, well, I mean, there's several, but two in particular, I, I think are not ones that as laymen, we would automatically go to and think, oh, sleep apnea can lead to this cancer and Alzheimer's. So those those are recent things that have just come out that um, really that completed stress, complete stress reaction of your sympathetic nervous system can affect so many uh, things and the immunity and the inflammatory response and everything mm. is put into this stressful, increased, high alert state. And they've been shown to be linked to both of those. Mm. Wow. And another one I'd add is um, the the rates of sleep disorder breathing in pregnancy are highly are often increased. You know, a little bit more weight carried, uh, a lot more stress in the body, um, and and also some lack of uh, you know less good quality sleep in general because uh, of diff- discomforts. Um, and the effects on babies is quite interesting in mums who have sleep disorder breathing. So it it tends to be cycle that will then continue um so yeah it's 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 really quite interesting and i mean it's it's quite early in research um in the in that field but certainly um there are ways of kind of there there are some case reports at the moment of uh treatment for 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 women who develop sleep apnea during pregnancy um and treating it and you know i, I think that's a, a really really important piece because um if mom isn't breathing well um reduced oxygen to baby um and the effects potentially on you know the the development of baby is 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 really interesting um and i think that's a piece that we will be visiting in the future i think um hopefully you know it'll be a case that you know all women who are pregnant at a certain point would have a sleep test because I think it's a, a relevant piece to um, the next generation being healthier. I think um, it's hugely relevant and it's not something that we talk about much at all, um, which is sad. And you go through all of these pregnancy classes and they teach you all these things, but at no point does anybody say, hey, how are you sleeping? I think in general, sense. the link of different health issues isn't always related in that I'm only talking about from Britain that um medic it, it's come new that the link of different symptoms such as hypertension and acid reflux and tiredness and headaches and all things like that could be suggestive of an increased risk of uh apnea you know the medics haven't been mm. taught that we as dentists right. are just no. about that and it's really important it's usually very, yeah, and that's part of why we're here. And I think I say it on every podcast um, to parents as well as medical professionals. You don't know what you don't know. You weren't taught. We didn't learn this when we were growing up either. So we're all kind of in the same boat trying to learn together. Yeah. So it's, that's that's something very important to remind ourselves. Um, and I, I probably, uh, if you don't mind, I, I'm going to want to circle back because you mentioned, and it's not something we've talked about much on the podcast, pregnancy and sleep apnea and the impact it can have not only on the mother, but on 
baby. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm going to just kind of guess, you know, some of the impacts are definitely stress related to the child. So could the child develop sleep is- or sleep or breathing issues? Could it cause the child to have higher blood pressure, impact their development? What what kinds of things are we seeing so far? Well, I would expect so those two two biggies really would be the hypertension and the diabetes risk. Um, because both of those we know physiologically are two major effects of um, having um, apneas. So um, I think it would be really interesting to see where, um, I mean, it's it's not something that I've come across in the research. It's just uh, a, a few colleagues have done kind of case reports on pregnant women. Um, uh, but um, I think it would be really interesting to see because we know that um, if you're um, if you're having uh, desaturations that your body becomes more stressed, um, we know that that stress is going to raise the cortisol. We know that cortisol is going to um, wreak havoc with the blood sugars. So, you know, absolutely, there are women who develop gestational diabetes who have, uh, you know, who are just having all the Coca-Cola, but there are plenty that aren't. And, you know, if you were to look at them from a oral or from an oral and a functional perspective, I think it'd be interesting to see how they're breathing. Absolutely. And how that there's a beautiful study that someone ought to do. Um <laughs> myself and Joe will buddy together at some stage. Um <laughs> but you know they, 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 and, and these are things that we're I guess we're just not considering right now. Um and then the other one is is we know that if we have um the more apnea you have the more likelihood you have of hypertension and um we know that hypertension in pregnancy can cause preeclampsia which can cause early birth um you know a lot of the the kids in NICU will be because of preeclampsia mums and you know we have to consider well why um absolutely the pressure of pregnancy is going to possibly increase the um the blood pressure but is it or- uh, is it an apnea issue? You know, I don't think it's been linked yet, but um, or confirmed in, in in research. But there's a good hypothesis there. I feel it's huge, absolutely. So in general, so, yeah. in no, no, general, go ahead. Um, those people with apnea have a five times as likely to have drug resistant hypertension, and double the rate of someone um, having diabetes, stroke, and congestive heart failure of those without disordered breathing. Now, those are two facts. I come back to each time and think, God, why why aren't we more aware of this? Because those two statements are huge. Yes, yes, they are. They really are. Five times. Mm. So one of the things I have found uh, over the course of doing this and, and speaking with other medical professionals is there was something, some kind of catalyst that transitioned you into sleep and airway, you know, doesn't seem like anybody, most people came out of, you know, medical school with this focus. So what, what was it for each of you? With mine, mine was uh, the fact that I've been with my husband now for 35 years and I used to just beg him to let me get, <laughs> please just give me 10 minutes, I'll be asleep. And it was, everything was fine until one night I woke up 
and and I was a good sleeper and I didn't use to wake. And I heard this foghorn next to me. Mm. And I thought, I'm going to kill you if you don't stop snoring. And then he stopped snoring. And for one little moment, I thought, oh, I'm powerful. I've just killed him. Oh, my God, I'm evil. <laughs> and then he started to um, snort and gasp and breathed again. And it's terrifying to lie next to somebody and breathe. And I actually woke him the next morning and he's a medic and said, are you aware this is what happened? I even quite horribly recorded him to say, this is what you sounded like. And this is about 15 years ago. And then I started to look into it and I made him a little um, prototype of some impression material in his mouth and that used to fall out and now we have gone to bespoke beautiful um appliances and now beforehand the guys on the ski trip nobody wanted to share a room with him they said nice guy when you're awake but when you're asleep it's hideous and the guy who drew the short straw this year he hasn't been for a few years signed him off as absolute delight Wow. No, not whatsoever. So, you know, when we can get great treatment outcomes, um, but that's what lit my fire. And now it's fantastic to make people feel better, to improve the quality of our patient's life. And you see people come back with their mojo and you're reducing mm. their risks of significant disease. So even if you catch it later in life, you can have an impact on their yeah. overall health span. Yeah. You can. It's been shown that you can um, slow down the rates of things. It depends what we're talking about. And and uh, I'm not sure how much studies have been in. A lot of more studies have been done about CPAP and the um, reduction in risks. And now as we're introducing our oral appliances, we hope they're the same uh, effects. But again, there's another study. Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) And what about you, Dr. Stack? Um, so, um, when I was, oh dear, have I lost you guys? No, no, we're here. Um, so when I was at university, um, my final year case was, um, was my father. Um, and I, you know, took him from, you know, a mouth that hadn't been worked on in a long time. And I saw him like 20 times and we fixed him right up good. Oh, and I got my honor degree and all was well. Um, and, um, four years later, um, my dad passed away very suddenly, um, and it just puzzled me as to what on earth was going on, which made me, you know, think about all of the potential symptoms. It really put me down on a rabbit hole. I was really keen to work out why my dad just was there one minute and, and not anymore mm-hmm. um so then I kind of looked at all the images and pictures I had of of his mouth and realized that he constantly mouth breathed it um he had a narrow palate he had worn teeth he had a um high amalgam patty he uh would wake up several times during the oh night gosh, just the checklist um, the checklist yeah wow. and that obviously is very personal and hard but I would not want that to happen to anybody else's father and that is why I am 
yeah, so passionate about trying to to make change and trying to influence some difference because yeah, lives can be shortened and um that causes pain all around and if it's not necessarily shortened, you know, you can live with a lot of um comorbidities that are unpleasant and just give you less life quality um and you know we are very quick to look at um pharmacological treatments for different conditions but you know fundamentally you sleep well you eat well you move well you breathe well you know those 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 pillars are going to lead to a, a better life um and it's amazing to have uh yeah um within my own profession to have the ability to 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 make a change so that is why i like working in this area which is yeah that's it and that's something that I, that i do find that that anyone that has done the research first of all there's something that gets them here they don't just stumble upon it usually there's something and there's this passion once you see it once you understand it and you realize as you as you said it's not just how it would impact your health span it's your quality of life and it's something so simple i mean it it's relatively simple by comparison to you know having to live with diabetes or alzheimers or some of these other things that will come down the ro- the road because of it it's so simple mm-hmm. so i saw something I'm not sure how recently you posted this, but um, there was a link between snoring and mental health. Um, And I really want to talk about this because the U.S. Surgeon General has indicated this is one of his big initiatives is mental health, specifically in children. And more studies have come out that, you know, mouth breathing and sleep apnea, they're impacting children and their mental well-being, um, depression and anxiety, which is off the charts in the U.S., um, as well as globally, but um, specifically here. So can we talk a little bit about how sleep apnea does impact children um, and their mental health? So snoring is the sound made when the tissues have a restricted airway. And there's from a little bit, there's a spectrum from a little bit of resistance to more until there's a complete blockage that can happen multiple times a night. And as we've said, that multiple times a night puts your body into stress and your whole body's in this active stress situation, physically Mm -hmm. and mentally. And adults with sleep apnea often suffer from daytime sleepiness and long-term cardiovascular effects and diabetes. And the kids, whilst they might be storing that for later, are much more likely to have behavioral problems, cognitive problems, development and growth. They have poor memory and concentration. They have behavior which mimics ADHD. And in some studies, they've shown that there is an increased um, incidence of ADHD with mild and moderate And it says that about one to five percent of children have obstructive sleep apnea and it's commonly underdiagnosed. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, kids can play up. We all know that we're perhaps not as patient when we've had a bad night's sleep. But if that's chronic, then we become less alert, 
less cognitively able, we're less able to learn with our mood, alertness and performance. And we often have more rebelliousness, hyperactivity, impulsiveness. We have difficulty controlling emotions. And most teams anyway are just learning or kids are learning to control the emotions. They don't need the extra hassle of right. reduced oxygen brings. Um there's interesting studies shown that after often children have problems because of large um, adenoids or tonsils. Mm -hmm. And they've shown that in some, in, there is a significant positive impact on behavioral problems such as inattention, um, hyperactivity, oppositional defiance and conduct disorder after uh, ad adenodontisolectomy. <laughs> I That's find that mouthful. My teeth round. <laughs> wow. Uh, and um, the mean scores of ADHD and um, all the behavior issues decreased significantly after the surgery to the extent that the parents weren't bothered about the behavior. Now, I don't think it ever goes back down to the baseline group. And you do have a high risk of it recurring, um, particularly if you've got a um, higher AHI or you've got a high arch palate or a Malam Patti score of two to four. That's the um, rating we give to the space and of a crowded or a pharynx at the back. Um, there's more risk if they're male or over seven, uh, if they've got allergic rhinitis or as asthma or, or if they're of African-American uh, race. So, you know, there are factors that do affect it. But on the whole, there was a significant increase in um, behavior. You mentioned something that I, I if you can speak to it. Uh, males over seven. Yeah, so why I are they different? Not quite sure. It could be that okay. um, males have a longer soft palate. Um I'm not sure, Aoife, are you sure? Um, well, I guess the cranium would have pretty much developed at that point. Um, so just to, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm just thinking on a, so if they're, if the soft tissues haven't, haven't caught up with the hard tissues, then potentially that's why, because at, at that age, we're, we're kind of pretty much facially developed. There's eighty percent of our facial developments done by age six, so there could be that to it. But I'm 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 not entirely sure. I'm not sure either. I don't know whether you're starting from a different place. You know, either. Yeah, yeah. Just curious. Just another this one point that I think is quite mind blowing as well. The brain constitutes only two percent of the whole body, but it uses up to twenty percent of the total metabolic oxygen. And it's thought mm. that conditions that reduce the metabolic oxygen affect the brain and cause cognitive and neurobehavioral impairments. Right. Now, we, we have seen that, that it can decrease a child's IQ up to 10 points. Yeah. Which is staggering. It really is. Such, oh, that's a huge number. Um. It's an extra thing to throw up a child who's learning how to regulate emotions and their weight right. anyway. It's an extra thing mm -hmm. that we can do something about. And, you know, there's some things we can't do about, but. Uh, but that is something we could. So, I, <clears throat> so, you know, we've talked before about the Malin Patty score and, and I'll make sure to put for those who haven't seen a, 
I have a visual that really shows the four. Um, so they'll have a, a, a perspective of what we're talking about. How do you know, though, that you know just removing the tonsils, for example, would be enough? Or do you even have to go that route if you can look at a child's mouth and see, oh, they have no room? You know, where do you start? It's a few things. I've got a, a picture here that is of a child's adenoid face. Okay. See that mm -hmm. with an elongated face, and you have venous pooling, and um, it looks a sort of different sort of face there. Um, mm -hmm. Often, where they've got a narrower, they've got a high vaulted palate, narrow jaw. Um, narrow face and often their head is if I show that is forward their posture mm -hmm. is a head forward as they're trying to get more airway so sometimes you see a child as they walk in I think we might have lost Eva. I see way. that <laughs> I'll watch um, for her to pop back in okay. um, and so a child can often have dark um, bags under their eyes and mm -hmm. then you open the mouth and you see quite often worn teeth because worn teeth and bruxism is often now thought to be a sign more related to some sleep disordered breathing. Whereas Which is grinding we, your teeth, correct? Yeah. Okay. So um, you often see that. And then uh, the jaw, top jaw, typically we want it to sit outside the bottom jaw. And in a lot of these cases, the, you've got a mismatch and everything's very narrow and there's nowhere for the tongue to go except backwards. And when mm -hmm. a child then lies down, the tongue goes back. They've already, if you open their mouth, you can sometimes see the tonsils kissing. And it's called oh. kissing tonsils as they're meeting at the back. And okay. the, tonsils, the tonsils are the tissue at the back of the mouth and the adenoids are the tissue at the back of the nose. And if you've got that inflamed tissue at the back of the nose and the throat, then you are hampering that child's ability to breathe. So you could start there as you're trying to bring the jaw forward and make some of the other adjustments just for the immediate relief. Well, I think at that point I would ask someone, you know, do they snore? Can we, you know, have you been to see an ENT opinion? Before I started playing, I would at that point um, refer on uh I think it's appropriate, you know, that if there's a significant other problem, we try and, and get that long term. Right. And some children grow out of some of the adenoid chronic things and don't need surgery. Okay, that's interesting because this is now the second time I've heard this mentioned. How do you know when to do it, when not to do it? Because I've also heard something very similar about a tongue tie, which I was under the impression you always take those out, but apparently you don't always treat those. You're listening to Airway First with today's guests, Dr. Joe Ingleby and Dr. Aoife Stack. You can find out more about the Children's Airway First Foundation and our mission to fix before six on our website at childrensairwayfirst.org. The CAF website offers tons of great resources, both for parents and medical professionals. In our Parents Portal and Clinicians Corner, you can find educational and informational content, including videos, blogs, our recommended reading list, 
comprehensive medical research podcast events, parent support, and educational opportunities. Parents are also encouraged to join the Airway Huddle, our Facebook support group, which was created for parents of children with airway and sleep-related issues. You can access the Airway Huddle support group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash airway huddle. Are you a medical professional or parent that is interested in being a guest on the show? Then shoot us a note via the contacts page on our website or send us an email directly at info at childrensairwayfirst.org. As a reminder, this podcast and the opinions expressed here are not a medical diagnosis. If you suspect your child might have an airway issue, contact your pediatric airway dentist or pediatrician. And now let's jump back into my interview with today's guest, Dr. Joe Ingleby and Dr. Aoife Stack. I'll leave Aoife to talk tongue-tied, but with the adenoids, I don't know, and you need an ENT consult. Okay, got it. <laughs> got it. With regard to the adenoid tonsillectomy, um, obviously, if we don't need to put a child through surgery, that's better. Um, right. But if the tissues are chronically damaged um, or chronically in, inflamed to the point that they're not going to come down, then... You know, um, I think it, it, it becomes a, a no-brainer if, if it reduces the the breathing space. But children do grow out of um, tonsils and adenoids. They do tend to get smaller from the age of six. Um, and also the other thing is, um, you know, if there's allergies and there's a change to that um, exposure, then that can reduce, um, that can reduce the... Um, the, the size of the tonsils and um, the other thing is there, there has been the Ewan study, which I'm sure you will come across before, uh, where um, expansion of the palate has, um, leaded to, has led to uh, reduced tonsil size, but um, more research is required. Yes, more research. I'd still, I mean, that's the other thing. It's still so, I hate to use the word new, but it is. It's it's still so new, and there's still so much we don't know. Yeah, yeah. And it will take time for this to filter through to um, dentists, doctors, midwives, everybody, everybody involved in this because it should be a multidisciplinary approach as well. Um, but with increased awareness, hopefully parents become more aware, dentists become more aware, and we can all uh, there are in in Britain. Hopefully there will be more myofunctional therapists to help and, you know, we can start treating uh, these patients in a conservative preventive way. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're getting to the root instead of let's just keep putting band-aids on it and let's just give them medication and understood. So you mentioned myofunctional therapy, which was an excellent segue for my next question. So, um, Dr. Sack, let's talk a little bit about how myofunctional therapy plays into uh, sleep hygiene as well as sleep apnea treatment. Okay, so I would separate sleep hygiene and sleep apnea treatment. So sleep hygiene okay. is 
um, things that we can all be doing to improve our um, split sleep architecture. Okay. Um, so, um, you know, the amount of deep sleep we're going to get, um, et cetera. So that's to do with, you know, how we live our lives on a day-to-day basis. So how, you know, how we're eating, how far away from our um, our night we're, we're asleep, we're eat- how far away from our night's sleep we're eating, um, you know, how well hydrated we are. Um, you know, what we've done in the hour or two before bed, light exposure, first morning light exposure, sunset exposure, you know, um, our, our melatonin levels, you know, it's it, 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 it's pretty easy to, to get it right if you follow the, if you follow what we're supposed to do and if you have a really easy life that means that you can just go and look at the sunrise and go and look at the sunset and take sure. all your air outside and not be exposed to toxins and, you know, eat all organic food and, you know, have, you know, not have conversations at, at late at night on computers and all those things. So, um, right, our, for the two people in the sleep. world that can do that. So for the rest of us, <laughs> right. I, sh- I should have our, my blue blocking light goggles on. That would have been really impressive. Um, <laughs> just wouldn't my look so good. Um, but, um, yeah, so, so all those sorts of things would, would kind of fall under sleep hygiene, um and then you know stress relief breath work all those you know where we're looking at myofunctional therapy we're looking more at actual targeted exercises to treat the oromotor dysfunctions that we present with so whether that is weak lip support causing you know mouth breathing whether it's a tongue that is a bit floppy whether it's a tongue that quite doesn't fit into the roof of our mouth whether it's a tongue tie whether we have you know tmj problems because of poor chewing you know whether we can chew at all a host of issues um and those are structural and functional issues that need therapeutic support rather than being a case of well you know because we could have amazing myofunctional support but if you decide to drink three bottles of wine before you go to bed it doesn't it's not gonna it's make it good or similar if a kid has you know lots of skittles before bed you know so it, it, it's it's managing two different things but it's for you know for for families it's very much on mum and dad or mum or dad or parents whatever that looks like to manage both hygiene and both uh, and all the therapies and whatever else comes with that together so for parents that are and and, um we've got a few things on our website which i'll make sure we include a link to here about what good sleep hygiene looks like but for parents that are just becoming aware and and are overwhelmed, which is what we find a lot when parents, you know, find out what's going on. What are a few things they could start with, you know, that would be pretty impactful when it comes to sleep hygiene, just, you know, with a younger child, what are some things they could start with initially? Screen time is a big one. Overall or just before bed? Overall, we all could do with less screen time. Yeah. Um, you know, we weren't, we weren't designed as humans to be in front of screens. So, uh, you know, 
that that's you know that's a given uh, but certainly later toward, later on in the evening certainly the, the less screen time the better um you know light exposure um having you know less blue light generally you know you can put dimmers in your light you can have certain wattage on your on your lights um uh, lots of hydration um you know not eating too close to bed looking at your sugar um kind of consumption throughout the day um breath work if it's possible um uh, mm. there's some simple be take or breathing exercises that can be done that are quite mm. nice um you know trying to, trying to get the kids outside if you've got green space um you know it's not easy man it's really not no, easy but it's not um, but you know at the weekends making sure that there is outside activity um you know just trying to live as naturally as possible is a good way to think this is the way we should be helping our sleep because oh you know we, we we used to be able to sleep pretty well and we now have so many toxins all around mm-hmm. us along with all these toxic lights that are not good for mm-hmm. us either right and and as a mother of of at least one that's still in school that that has everything on an iPad. Back in my day, we had the backpack with all the books and the worst we had to worry about was throwing out a shoulder or a rib or something with a heavy backpack. I'll take that. But to see a child that has no books and they're constantly on their iPad, everything is on the iPad. The book is on there. The homework is on there. The lectures are on there. You know, it's one of those, I, I would just like to rally that please bring back the books. That's all I'm saying. I think to have a um as time that stops that and then a transition of relaxation before a regular bedtime is at least something you can do. Eva's right, if we could all get much more fresh air and all go back oh. to whatever, but that is unlikely to happen when all your work is on. Yeah, iPad. Exactly. It is, right? And 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 my heart goes out to the kids that were like me. They were doing homework late into the night, especially the teenagers. You you have after school events, you have band, you have cheerleading, whatever, and you have a job, and then you come home and you're with your family, and then you're doing homework late into the night. You know, we're just basically handing these children health issues. So Yeah. And I and it's not just children, you know, like it's it's it, it's throughout you know like i i have a five-month-old baby like he's not really exposed to screens just yet but that's going that's going to come and it's and it's really interesting because i'm currently working through sleep learning and like the pattern that we're we're that's, that's known to work would be you know feed then feed in a kitchen environment like feed in the kitchen so that they get used to eating their last meal in the mm. kitchen. Then take them up to the bath, have a nice relaxing bath, then do a baby massage, then have a read of a book, then say your prayers and go to sleep. And, you know, actually, that's a pretty good way for it. No, but it's a pretty good way for us all to be living, isn't it? It and is. And before we've it done is. our dinner, we've been out for a walk, you know, um, and all of those things are setting him up to have a good night. Well, I hope to have a good night. But, you know, th- we know that those are things that are going to improve sleep architecture. But, you know, it's and that's how we used to live, like not that long ago. 
Like when I yeah. was at university, which I qualified 10 years ago, I wasn't really in the library late at night with a laptop. I was there with books like and highlighters, you know, exactly. now I think, you know, in a very short period of time, everything is online. You know, I'm any online, any, um, postgrad programs I'm doing now it's all on the computer you know even more and more and more and I would expect Joe probably for you you're in your career you probably would have gone from never using a computer to now spending about 50% of your clinical time on a computer right now I think we all have to be aware though that it wouldn't be practical to say to everybody you can't use your iPad your child who is all the time right. on. we just have to have limited as much as we can get mm-hmm. out there and get as much natural bits we can do going on and give some time period of, as Eva says, some gap between whatever we do and sleep. You can't, it's not just a light switch you can turn off and Mm -hmm. then suddenly have no effects. Your body needs to wind and your mind needs to wind down. Yep. And I, and I, and I also think I just to add to this on, on the personal side from doing these podcasts, I've caught my own behaviors. You know, I was 30 years ago because I'm old. In college, I was that child that was at the library late at night working, but it was with books. So I'm used to being up late and reading before bed, but life happened and technology happened and children. And at some point I got into this horrible habit of, well, let me just unwind by playing some games on my phone until I fall asleep. So, you know, even I have had to backpedal my behavior and I'm finding, you know, this is, as parents, this is something I think we can do. We're showing our children what to do. So put that phone down. Don't pick it up. Have a book, you know, maybe sit outside with a cup of tea and talk to your spouse before you go to bed and, or something just change. And some of it is some of us are natural larks and some of us are natural owls. And we do have to acknowledge that as well, but that's I true. mean, a lot of teenagers would like to start their day later on. That's you know? how they're programmed. Yeah, I um, wasn't, but apparently other children are. <laughs> um, so, but it's about actually just acknowledging what's going on. And if you cannot, if you are struggling with your sleep or your child is, then to actually look at what's going on and seeing what can you do to help and make it a more natural or a more regulated you know, what's going to increase the likelihood of you having a better night's sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we've touched on this a little bit, but just to to kind of package it up in a nice little way for parents, what are, what are some home things we can do to help our children with um, not just sleep, but maybe sleep apnea or you know, what kind of exercises or things should we be doing as they're coming up? I know that Baby led weaning is something that is now being talked about because we're giving our children all these soft foods and and we're all guilty of it. Um, So letting them chew is good for them. It's going to strengthen the jaw. It's going to help bring it forward. What are some other things that we as parents could be doing to help our children? Encouraged nasal breathing would be one of the ones I'd say. As much as you can, make it a game check that they can yeah because they can't send them, yeah to take them to someone who can help them um yeah for sure. well. i mean from, from birth like 
breastfeeding if possible and if desired and if desired then having support for feeding um because we, we know that tongue tie rates are probably higher than what's you know if from brazil they would say 20 percent there is tongue tie so you know that's 20 percent of people who will have issues from the get-go with feeding mm-hmm. um so yeah, breastfeeding is is one and, and allergies is the other um you know um looking at diet and what diet interventions may cause um may cause any kind of reflux um and then encouraging even with the babas encouraging nasal breathing through oral motor exercises um which would be done with a physio ot um speech and language therapist um or an ibclc or a tongue tie provider or any of the above together or an osteo but there's numerous people that would be involved in that team um and then once they get as you described once they start to wean um harder foods ideally and if possible continued breastfeeding um because that deep latch um our ancestors um would have breastfed till about the age of four um and we know that that was um related to having a wider palate um and um that's something that obviously is incredibly demanding on the whole family, particularly mum. Um, so, you know, the, the, the real how realistic that is 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 questionable in in our modern times. Um, but it's certainly baby led weaning, and really, really looking at reducing allergens. Where you know whether it's just dairy, uh, whether it's um, a dander from animals, um, you know, anything that might potentially increase any inflammation in the in the in the airways uh, is something to be reduced. Looking at maybe increasing filtration for um, the air, um, reducing uh, air conditioning. Um, mm. Again, making sure that you're trying to live in an environment that's less toxic. I mean. It's, so much of this stuff is so high and mighty you know it really really is um because you know we really have damaged our environment significantly and our way of living in a natural mm-hmm. in a natural way but you know again just going back to trying to live as as primitively as possible um and then you know when 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 a, a child is getting into kind of three I would say would be I mean I I don't tend to work very well with three-year-olds but certainly kind of four or five you're starting to get a little bit of cooperation and then doing some some or motor exercises and there are some amazing myofunctional therapists I think of Barbara Green she's amazing she does the most incredible work with like 18 month olds um and they're doing all of this fabulous um myofunctional therapy work and really doing great um but um for me like you're thinking you're going to get cooperation or sometime three plus um yeah sometimes far higher and sometimes you got a really cooperative three-year-old and mm-hmm. i think it's a total lucky dip um i don't think it's 
I'm, I'm sure there's a, a bit of parenting involved, but I think sometimes it's a lucky dip. Um, mm-hmm. So you, you just don't know what you're going to get. Um, but yeah, so doing basic exercises, uh, doing breath work, um, you know, um, yeah, doing different um, games to promote nasal breathing, something like putting a lollipop stick between the lips and holding that for three minutes so that they're breathing through the nose um, you know, they're not allowed to hold that lollipop stick with their teeth. Um, and if they can't, if you can't breathe through your nose for three minutes, that's a direct referral to an ENT. Um, if you can breathe through your nose for three minutes, you can breathe through your nose for your whole life. Um, there's a really fabulous book by Patrick McKeown. Um, close your mouth and save your life, or is it just yeah, change your, your life and change your life? Yeah, uh, a small little book. Um, and that's a really, really cool little book that you can, um, you know, it's a pretty simple, um, simply illustrated book. So, you know, easy enough to, to, to start with, with young ones, but they've got to be compliant. They've got to want to be there, you know, um, and, you know, and and every kid hits that at a different point. Um, obviously, and unfortunately, or maybe not so obviously, but it's the kids that often need that help the most. That are least interested in partaking in, in that and, and that's just yeah. an unfortunate reality of how things are right now mm-hmm. and um just really difficult for parents who find themselves in that situation um because the last thing you want to do is force a, a child who doesn't want to do something to do something because it just it, uh, for every reaction you got an equal, equal and opposite for every action you got an equal, equal and opposite reaction right so mm-hmm. um it's just trying to to, to to meet them at their level um and then upwards from seven i think myofunctional therapy is pretty um pretty standard you can do early interventional orthodontics um you know depending on the Again, the, the the patient and the skill of the practitioner. You can start that from kind of two or three. Sometimes, I mean, I'm not I'm not treating that young. I kind of four or five would be where I would be like, okay, we can we can look at doing some, you know, arch development, um, if that's if that's seemingly necessary, um, and then yeah, from kind of seven eight, you've got your window of of growth. Um, for early orthopedic appliances um, and a lot of the facial growth is done uh, around puberty um, so uh, I mean the, the, the jaw will still, will, will still grow um, the jaw in, in a female stops to grow at 18 no no Joe correct me is it the girls are 18, the boys are 21. Yeah, that's that's what it is. Um, so this continued jaw growth until that point. Um, so you know you can manipulate growth all, all the way up until that stage yeah. with um with appliances. Um, and at any point, I think myofunctional therapy is helpful. Um, the thing about myofunctional therapy is you must keep it up. If you work out really hard and you get great strength and then you just let it all, you know, weaken again, then it will probably You'll weaken back again. To anywhere. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and unfortunately, this is why my functional therapy doesn't get maybe the respect that it deserves uh, because it's a constant 
effort. But similarly, you know, going to the gym is a constant That's effort. That's a valid point. If you, you know, if you work out every day for six months and then you just don't, you'll look great for a little while and then it'll weaken a little bit. Um, it's good so, yeah. Um, but the, I mean, if you, so the, the goals of mindfulness therapy is to integrate um, patterns, um, neuromuscular patterning, so that you know how to use, um, to, 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 you know how to use muscles in, in the correct way and, and, and you learn to integrate those, but um, you, you need to keep up the work. Right, right. And then so- later, as adults, you've got all appliances, which Joe's been talking about. So, yep. so I'm going to put you both on the, the spot, and this is strictly just opinion. But from this side of the pond, it appears as though your side is a little ahead of this train, this this change that we're seeing as far as airway and sleep and the impacts that it's having and putting together these diverse team. So it's not, you know, over here, everything is very siloed, pediatricians and dentists, everybody's siloed, but it appears that there seems to be a little more cohesion and you might be a few steps ahead at the moment. So what what's driving this? I'm not sure that's totally the case. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I was, um, I was that's what it looks like. Okay. I think um, the nice guidelines change and that's the national institute of clinical excellence and that's a body that assesses current practice action plans and it evaluates the outcomes on results and the benefits are cost wise and to the patient and everything and they changed in august 21 and they acknowledged oral appliance therapy as an alternative treatment for mild to moderate sleep apnea if they choose not to have cpap or if cannot tolerate CPAP. Now, we all know that CPAP is great if a patient wears it and yeah. uses it. But there's many things that make it that the compliance or success aren't as good. Um, and the other options are oral appliance therapy. And it, it works. And since that has come in, we have now been trying to get that as part of integrated into a treatment option in our health service. And that has been a long process. And we're also trying to now contact. And I think it's more on a personal level. I've contacted the ENT specialists near me. I've contacted the sleep clinics. I get referrals. You asked me earlier um, how I got patients and I mm-hmm. have re- receiving referrals from the sleep clinics for about 10 years because they they knew before the nice guidelines changed that oh, wow. oh, if we've got a patient with this and they're not winning hold on this works great and then when i'd sent them back for sleep tests they'd go hold on this works and they're using it so although it is slightly less effective per time in some cases, because a patient tolerates it and complies much better with it, you mm-hmm. get equal effect for the mild and moderate. And, and so really they were surprised when they uh, did post-sleep tests afterwards mm-hmm. on the success. They rang me excitedly and said, but it really works. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> you know? 
So I think it's on a personal level. And okay. then it has to drift down, you know, with education. And it's a lot of the medics yeah. doors of um, the medical um, publishers to say, can I put on a webinar to just show you how these group of symptoms could be suggestive of sleep apnea and that, you know, there's a two-year waiting list for our sleep clinics. Meanwhile, we could make them a make them an appliance and see if that works or we could do a home sleep test and this sort of thing. You know, let's try and work more in together because mm-hmm. if we check if a patient can breathe through their nose and if they can't, then I'd re-refer back to an ENT you know, to say, hold on, we've got a problem, you know, let's together and try and make. And in some cases with some adults, when somebody's not been able to comply with CPAP, to wear an appliance with that and have adjunct dual therapy can be extremely successful because the side effects of a CPAP of high pressure and aerophagia and that horrible feeling of mm-hmm. being full of air, you can have much lower pressures when you open up the airway by wearing an appliance. Mm. Okay. So that's another option we've got. And so we are trying to make this more multidisciplinary, um, yes. increase awareness, um, because we as dentists, patients come to see us. We're in an ideal position. They come every six months. We have a look, right. we chat, listen to them. They trust us. You know, it's that mm-hmm. feeling of, oh, do you snore? Yes. Oh, God, my wife's not let me in the bedroom. And, you know, for some people that isn't an issue and other people are you know, desperate to please help me. Right. Uh, and it's um, we're in a great position to see the risks, assess them and treat them if appropriate. Mm-hmm. And it's that multidiscipline approach. That's one of the things that we rally for. Absolutely. Because we then can. you're treating them as a whole patient. Absolutely. And we're looking at their whole health. And mm-hmm. we can, we in Britain aren't allowed to diagnose sleep apnea, but we can um, refer for that. We can do some home sleep testing and get that reported by a physician or a physiologist. You know, we can gain information. And, and you know, some GPs, um, medical practitioners are becoming a little more aware because nobody's been taught this. We're all sort no. of you and we're all fumbling our way through right 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 as fast as we can so at the end of every episode i always like to hand the floor back to our guests and let y'all have the final word it can be for our parents it could be for other medical professionals but just you know final thoughts from each of you Eva. Um, sorry, Joe, go first because okay. Um, I would say awareness. I want more awareness. I want nasal breathing. More <laughs> awareness. Um, uh, go online, rally, find find someone who'll help you. Um, contact us. Contact your American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine. There are people out there. It is the message is getting out there. We just need to increase awareness on other medics, other specialities, and just keep showing that this can work. And we can really improve people with a little appliance instead of a CPAP or surgery, or you know, by helping them with myofunctional therapy, we can help them positively change their own health risks without medication. Yep. 
Um, and mm -hmm. my thought would be um, follow your gut in instinct if you feel as a parent that something is not right then seek someone who will listen to your concerns because you're probably right um and to professionals i would say you want to know what you know and what we got taught at medical and dental school half of it's probably outdated so we got taught anatomy and physiology so that we could understand how the body works and sometimes we need to go back to that to unpack presentations of what is coming to us in our practices yeah yep there you go. continually learning yeah yep. absolutely I cannot thank you both enough. This has been illuminating and informative and just truly a pleasure. So thank you both. Yeah. Podcasts like this do spread the word and increase awareness. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks again to today's guests, Dr. Joe Ingleby and Dr. Eva Stack for sharing their medical insight and to each of you for listening to today's episode. If you're new to our podcast, please don't forget to subscribe. And if you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review or comment telling us about what you enjoyed most. You can stay connected with the Children's Airway First Foundation by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Parents can also join us via our Facebook parent support group, The Airway Huddle, at facebook.com backslash groups backslash airway huddle. You can also find tons of great content for parents and medical professionals alike via the Parents Portal and Clinicians Corners on our website. If you'd like to be a guest or have an idea for an upcoming episode, shoot us a note via the contacts page on our website or send us an email directly at info at childrensairwayfirst.org. And finally, thanks to all the parents and medical professionals out there that are working to help make the lives of kids around the globe just a little bit better. Take care, stay safe, and happy breathing, everyone.